Welcome to More to Come, PDF Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing. As always, at least in recent months, recorded all over the place, <laughs> all over New York City. Uh, I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor, Publishers Weekly, Editor of PW Comics World, and Editor of the Fanatic, PW's twice a month comics and pop culture newsletter. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of The Beat at comicsbeat.com. And don't forget, you can follow us on Twitter at, at PW Comics World. And I'm Kate Fitzsimmons. I'm the podcast producer, and you can find us on Tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com. And don't forget, you can subscribe to More to Come on iTunes. And on Facebook, we're at facebook.com slash pwcomicsworld. And don't forget, you can also give us a rating on iTunes or other podcasting platforms of your choice. Uh, please give us feedback. We'd love to hear from our listeners. Yeah, come on. This is the post-pandemic world. Mm-hmm. You know, we need we need some friends. Come on, talk to us. <laughs> <laughs> All right. This week on More to Come, Retailers Assemble, Comics, Comics Pro's annual meeting, rumors about D.C., playing convention chicken. Uh, we'll, uh, look forward at the conventions in 2021. Uh, underpaid animators, is Netflix part of the problem? And – heartwarming last-minute rescue of a black comic store in uh, Minnesota. And new book from the Tamakis. Oh, be still my heart. All right, Retailers Assemble. Yeah, so last weekend, well, you know, actually last week was the annual Comics Pro convention or meeting, uh, which is a Comics Pro is an organization for comic shop retailers. It's usually kicks off the year of in comics, the fiscal year, as I like to call it, uh, you know, all the publishers attend, all the retailers attend. It is closed to the press, so um, you know you only get dribs and drabs of what comes out. Uh, but you know, usually you could talk to a few people and find out a few things. Uh, of course, this year it was held virtually um, via Zoom, and uh, didn't quite get the normal. Uh, you know, like, oh my god, I love comic book, uh, reaction from all the people who go. It, it really is one of the best meetings of the year as far as comics business goes. So, uh, so yeah, did I, I don't, guess neither of you guys followed the Comics Pro news such as it was. I knew they were a meeting, but, uh, once again, they don't really let, um, media in. And actually, you usually, uh, Toss me a few bits and pieces from from what's on because usually you know you 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 get some access. Okay. Okay. Yes, beautiful. Okay. Um. Yes, that's true. It is a bit of a secretive organization, and you know, this being the pandemic, it's hard for me to get as excited about news as I once did because it all just kind of goes with this slushy Zoom hopper. But uh, you know, they did. Uh, they did. Elect Jen Haynes of the Dragon, a chain of three stores in Guelph, mm-hmm. Ontario, as the new president of Comics Pro. Uh, oh, I've, good. Robin, I think you've met Jen. I think she's yes, been you on know, some she, of our. We did a panel, retailers panel yes. in San Diego a couple of years ago that you organized. Yes, that's right. And she well, was a. Uh, she was a. Uh, she was great. I mean, really a refreshing presence. Really among the new wave of comics uh, shop owners. Yes, and she absolutely is. And she works really I, – I think I've talked to her for my library stories because she works really hard with libraries. And, uh, you know, she's just – yeah, she's completely modern. They couldn't have picked a better president. I know that Katie Pry- uh, Price of 
uh, the, a Portland comic shop uh, whose name I can't remember right now. Um, it's it's a great shop. I'll, I'll look it up while uh, someone else is talking. But um, uh, she was also elected to the board. But I haven't been able to get the full board. Um, a couple of publishers did uh, presentations that really gave some pretty impressive numbers. You know, we keep saying that comics did fine in 2020 despite there being a pandemic. So boom. Studio announced that uh, their sales were up twenty to comic shops twenty two percent. Wow! In twenty twenty, um, just to comic shops. To comic shops, yes. Yeah. Twenty. They 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 had grown their sales by twenty twenty percent with comic shops, uh, and that's based on ten months of sales versus twelve months of sales. Um, and Dynamite, uh, they announced that their sales were up twenty nine percent. <laughs> okay, well, so um, I mean, captive audiences out there. It is people a cap, but desperate I, for content. But that's just incredible. It is. I mean, it's, it's really because they did lose two months. They lost yeah. two months of sales, and were able to still be up by a quarter. That's that's crazy. Crazy now, talk. A lot. These are just comic shops. I mean, that's even more so amazing. I don't actually know where the boom number came from, but the uh, the boom number was definitely comic shops. But dynamite, I'm not sure. But I, uh, if you know what, it was overall sales for boom. Overall that sales. Was, now that really cap- doesn't surprise me. Overall, yes. if you're just for all of your retail channels, that's there's no surprise there. Yeah, yeah. Um, because um, you know, bookstores have survived. Comic shops have survived. And you know, online, online retailers. Online has completely has uh, really taken over quite yes. a bit. Uh, there's a little bit of news. Todd McFarlane is relaunching Spawn. Uh, like yeah. he's doing well Spawniverse with like weekly comics. Um, DC. Okay, so actually, I guess the the kind of the big news was just that DC had a presentation where all of their top folks spoke to retailers, including Marie Javins, their editor-in-chief, Jim Lee, their publisher. Um, the elusive Daniel Cherry, uh, who was the oh, general yes. manager, sure. uh, and also Nancy Spears, who is their re- DC mm-hmm. sales and revenue. Now, Nancy's really the only person left um, in DC – uh, sales. I mean, there's a couple people yeah. under her, I guess, but you know, the, every, it was also coincidentally the last week for all the people who got laid off the last round, people like Stuart Trek, Vince Lotario, uh, DC legends like that. Uh, but then they announced, they reaffirmed, I, I'm told they reaffirmed their commitment to publish periodicals and mentioned 10 new projects like an Harley Quinn animated series sequel, a Wonder Woman 80th anniversary title, Elseworld. Mm-hmm. Uh, DC Vampires, working title, Robin and Batman, Joker, a puzzle box, The Legend of Batman, Crush and Lobo, Nubia and the Amazons, and DC Middle Ages. So, man, that sounds incredible. What a <laughs> fantastic list of upcoming projects, uh, a list of titles and concepts. Okay. Um, All right. So, yeah. but, you know, okay, I'm sorry. I was just agreeing. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, it's good. I mean, really, let's face it. They need to, they need to step up and say, um, uh, I know you guys have been talking, but we believe in you. I mean, they really do. They really did, needed to do that. Well, I think they said that, but, yeah. you know, did I don't think people believed it. I, I well. did talk to a couple of retailers <laughs> who actually saw these little video presentations and, um, you know, uh, the proof is in the pudding, isn't it? And now – the hottest rumor of last week uh, was published on a website that I don't like to name, but it said that 
I mean, we've been talking about it on this podcast. It's it's an open secret in the industry that DC is actively just trying to license out their publishing. Okay. Yeah. However, it, they want too much money for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so nobody's been able. I mean, I've talked to publishers who say they were interested in this license, mm-hmm. and but the, it's too steep. The price is too steep, and so. Uh, this new version of the rumor was that some groups, several different groups, I've heard as many as three, hmm. are trying to get together the money to buy the DC Comics imprint outright. And, of course, they would not own the film or TV rights. They would mm-hmm. only own the publishing rights. Uh, and they wouldn't own the characters either. So now, from I, I've talked to a whole bunch of people. I'm not... I'm not entirely clear what that means. I mean, the site that reported this, this place a little isn't – that's a report rumors the way I would report rumors or the way Calvin sure. would report rumors. As I said, they're buying DC Comics in perpetuity. I don't know what that means. That doesn't mean anything really. Like are they mm. buying the name DC Comics? Like I suppose you could buy the name DC Comics and then you could publish, you know, licensed Marvel titles if you want, mm-hmm. you know, depending on anything. So I, I did confirm this with a bunch of people. Uh, that this is the hottest rumor in comics, and there's a couple of different groups involved, and one of them uh, is um, said it was wealthy fans. I, I, as far as I can tell, that is not that accurate. It actually sounds like it's a bunch of industry professionals who have funding. So, huh. uh, but that's all I can say about that. But um, interesting. Yeah. DC's in play, and if you look at this, is all coming from AT and T, of course. And if you look at what they did with Crunchyroll, uh, and today Directv, <laughs> did you see guys see? No, that? I didn't. What happened with Directv? Uh, they, <laughs> they sold it. They sold it. Huh? Yeah. Like yeah, their 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 corporate strategy is kind of hard to figure out, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, so sorry, uh, Directv. We really don't care. Um, good luck in all your future endeavors. I mean, it makes it makes sense. I mean, I guess in some ways it makes sense to sell Directv, I suppose, than to sell Crunchyroll. But uh, you know, I'm not a you know mergers and yeah, acquisitions we, we, guy. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. Um, so what do well, I know? well, listen. As I think we said last, you know, two weeks ago, last time we met and we talked about DC rumors. Um, uh, AT and T's acquisition of Directv was a disaster, and. They got rid of it. Uh, yes. And uh, AT&T's acquisition of Warner, Warner Media is kind of a disaster. <laughs> so <laughs> I think it's only a matter of time. You know, like there's the, – the, the, okay, so the way this plays out, I asked a few people and we all we all agreed you – know, industry insiders. I asked a bunch of industry insiders mm-hmm. uh, and we all agreed there's two ways this plays out. Either they lower their price to the point where some publishing company does – uh, license out the publishing because they don't want anything to do with it mm. or uh, they just run out the clock and eventually AT&T is going to do, do to Warner Media what they did to direct TV and just unload it on someone mm. um, that actually seems likely that actually seems likely more likely than most scenarios <laughs> yeah me. everybody agreed that was the more likely scenario yeah. and, and look uh, if anyone from DC is listening to this, like all props to you, I don't say this as any put down to Jim Lee or Marie Javens or oh, not at all. Uh, Nancy Spears or the mysterious Daniel Cherry. Um, you know, obviously they have a lot of great projects going on there, um, that are doing quite well. And, you know, they have not given up the ship at all. 
Yeah. Uh, and that shows. So. Yeah, but Mormon Media obviously would be a, a prize kind of. Yeah, for somebody, but who would be big enough to buy Warner Media? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not qualified to even speculate on that, so I'll leave it alone. <laughs> we could get somebody on the show that could be more, more capable at speculating on that topic than me. Yeah, we should have a special episode with Rob Stalkowitz. Exactly. That's a perfect, that's the first name that comes to mind. Uh, Kate, sure. any, any thoughts on that? Um, well, I think Calvin should shot, stop bouncing back and forth in Skype because I'm getting seasick. And okay, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my bad. And, and, uh, you know, I don't know. I mean, I feel like if you sell off, like, DC for parts, is it still DC? Like, I, I don't know. I'm worried. Like, if it stays one entity with the same people running it as are actually publishing the books, that's one thing. But if it's just sort of a catch-as-catch-can license, I, I worry that they're going to not treat it like something they own and are instead going to treat it like something that they don't want to offend the owners of, you know, that it's going to turn into like Mickey Mouse or uh, Bugs Bunny, and mm. that would be sad. Well, did you guys see the big story about the Snyder Cut this week? Uh, I knew there was some discussion around it, but uh, yeah. fill us in. Um, I saw the um, the statement from Snyder himself that originally they wanted to put it out without any special effects. And he was like <laughs> – That's, That's crazy. Yeah. He was like, yeah, well, he, I, I said no because I knew that they thought, well, one, we'll shut up the people asking for it online – Two, it'll look bad because it has no special effects, so we'll look like we made the right decision. And he was like, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I yeah. think that is fair. I think that's Why fair. would they want to do that? Well, that's crazy. For exactly the reason he just said. Actually, this article – And then it wouldn't cost them anything because they wouldn't have to pay for yeah. the, so, the special effects. People would hate it. But so Exactly. Exactly. That's what they wanted but, to happen. But for context, Calvin, the story is up on Vanity Fair. It's written by Anthony Bresnikan, and it is the best, one of the best reported entertainment stories right. I've read. Hey, in- I apologize, I haven't read it because I'm dumbfounded. Yeah, that well, that wasn't the point that. of the story. Like basically, it's you know we've heard this, we've seen that, we, we've we've heard this rumor, we've seen that social media campaign, uh, you know, we've seen this studio executive statement. But this story actually explains what happened. I mean, yeah. it's from Snyder's point of view. Sure. Um, but, you know, like when he put out, you know, basically Warner Media, you know, the reason why I bring it up now, is, I didn't mean to spring it on you guys, but I mean, it just shows how important Justice League and the DC characters are to Warner Media and to AT&T. You know, it's like, oh, sell off this little comics crap, you know, but we keep the movies and the TV shows. I mean, they just debuted you know, Superman and Lois this week and announced that they're going to be doing a Blue Beetle TV show. So these characters are not going anywhere. Um, But yeah, I I mean, honestly, you should guys all go read this. Oh, for sure. We should talk about it next time because there's a lot of tea. Oh, it spells so much tea. For sure. I mean, I just find it baffling. There's so much interested in this Snyder Cut. It's been hyped to the ceilings. I mean, it just seems that they can't figure out a way. No, 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 no. This is okay. Okay, you go. Yeah. So they did 
Snyder did not agree to release it until they agreed to put special effects to it. Yeah. So when they release it, it will have special yeah. effects. No. So yeah. the thing but, is, oh, Kate, I'm sorry, go on. But originally, when fans started agitating to see Snyder's cut, they they thought they'd just like release it as I don't know, like a curiosity, without bothering to spend any money on effects well, the or point, anything. The point that I was going to make is that you know one of the big mysteries is solved in this article because over the years, Justice League came out in 2017, and. You know, we've heard Jason Momoa say, oh, I saw the Snyder Cut and it was sick. Okay. And Mm -hmm. then it's like, oh, it doesn't exist. So what is the truth? The truth is that when Snyder left, for the reasons that are explained in the article, he had a four-hour cut on his computer Mm -hmm. that existed, that had no visual effects or music. Okay. And he said sometimes when people came to his house, he would show it to them. Sure. Okay. So when the clamor began, someone at Warner Brothers was like, oh, yeah, let's just release that. Yeah. Which is just dumb. And all of this sounds per- perfectly, obviously, real. But, you know, showing it to somebody, you know, at home who stops by <laughs> in a general release over something that would be a global sensation, it's, that would be insane. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> but apparently people at AT and T or Warner Media or whoever thought that they're insane. Well, I think Snyder's if that's what they wanted to do. I think Snyder was completely correct. Like I think it was like, oh yeah, we'll release it in this format so we can just shut them up and say, see, it was shit. Well, um, yeah, you, you know. And anyway, I and then they. Uh, I mean, I, you know, we may, maybe we'll revisit it. Just in case we don't. The other nut graph in this story is where some Warner's executive says that after they, by the way, Joss Whedon was not Zack Snyder's choice, obviously. Uh, and after he came in, they were looked at what he did and they were like, it was terrible. And they said, like one of the execs is quoted as saying, man, you know, we were ashamed to say what a piece of shit it was. Hmm. Well, I mean, how many people I mean, actually believe studio executives about anything? Yeah, I mean, I will say, having watched the movie, I don't really particularly think its problems were Joss Whedon. It was just that they were trying to re-steer the ship in such a different direction so late in the game that the seams all showed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. Honestly, I suspect that I will end up having liked what actually came out more than I like the Snyder Cut when it comes out. But, yeah, no, it definitely shows its seams. I don't know that any director could have done that job of steering that ship in such a different direction so late in the game and not shown the seams. I don't know what could be done. Kate, are you planning to watch the Snyder Cut? Yes. Oh, I'd watch it, too. Look, I'd watch it too. I can't promise I'll watch the whole thing. I may halfway (laughs) through just be like, why, God, why? But on the other hand, maybe I'll like it. So, Kate, are you going to watch it right away? No. Are you going to wait two months? No, because I know it'll go away now because apparently HBO Max is stupid in a wide variety of ways. Um I I don't think that's what you should do with a movie release when it's released by your company, but no one asked me. 
<laughs> well, anyway, to circle back to the purported topic of this podcast, um, <laughs> the DC characters are incredibly important to the future yeah. of Warner Media and AT&T. And um, guess what? The movies take considerably from the little old lowly comics. They do indeed. And they should not get rid of DC comics. They should just let it happen. Yeah. Let it be. Let it be. Come on, people. Just chill out. Now, the story about these podcasts, which I actually do think are kind of interesting, is that part of uh, Comics Pro as well? Uh, Well, you know, I didn't actually see that story. What is that story? The scripted podcast. I think the story was on The Verge. Um and I mean, this is happening because audio is exploding again now throughout the business, and you know Spotify and the others are all looking for new properties that basically they can turn into scripted audio dramas. Yeah. So, and I mean, it's something that can be done on a relatively low budget. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So apparently, Spotify and DC Comics signed a podcasting deal last June. Um. And it's going to be a multi-series deal, but the first project that's going to come out is now, now we know what it is, it's Batman Unbound, which will explore, quote-unquote, the darker aspects of Bruce Wayne's psychology. Okay, darker? I think you <laughs> yeah. had the title wrong. It's actually Batman Unburied. It is Unburied, yes. Oh, my mistake. Yeah. The, uh, the comic is going to be called Batman Unburied. <laughs> I mean, I think Marvel's doing something along these lines, yes, too. Yes, but, but, but Marvel has been doing scripted podcasts with their mm-hmm. characters for quite a while, actually. Yeah. So. Well, you know, it's funny. I haven't done a story recently, but a, a few years back, um, I did do a stuff simply about – I mean, there was – those, in those years, it was kind of a low-flying f- phenomenon – but uh, there was a, just a, a huge uh, – not huge. There's a growing and very devoted market of people who love essentially radio plays of cla- of classic um, uh, uh, comic stories, you know, yes. uh, Crisis on Final Earth and right. all of that. And they, 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 they put up together a cast. There's a, there's a score. Uh, I mean some of them are, are, are done with orchestras. I mean it's, it's – it's it's not a it's not a uh, a quickie uh you know make a buck thing it really they really create like audio um uh theatricals yeah yeah no what people love i mean look we just talked to um you know fred and crystal about the the kirby oh yeah uh, you know yeah. king kirby there which which is it's a play reading but the you know like you said the the audience for audio is enormous yeah it it's growing all the time so yeah so oh, they and, say on our podcast. Yes, uh, we love audio. <laughs> uh, one final note: uh, Dynamite also announced that they've hired industry veterans Jim Sokolowski and Vince Letario, who were among the let go at uh, DC Comics. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, Ski, as he's known, is really an industry veteran. He's been everywhere. He's done, a, you know, he's now the associate, uh, like the the. Semi-publisher, whatever. Yeah, the, is that yeah. his associate yeah. publisher or something Yeah, like he's that. like yeah, associate publisher. Yeah. So that's a pretty big title at Dynamite, uh, but incredibly 
um, experienced. And Vince Letario, of course, is like, you know, been working in the direct market for 30 years. He's almost invented it. So uh, two pretty significant hires there for Dynamite. So, um, all right, you know, retailers have assembled. Um, hey, uh, now, I think uh, a topic that's on everyone's mind is, are we going to have conventions in 2021? <laughs> and the answer is, nobody knows. Yes. <laughs> but some people are willing to gamble. So they're playing a game of, dare I say it, convention chicken, where – you know, will will their nerve give out first? Will the pandemic give out first? Will will their insurance pay out before they cancel? Mm, no one knows. No one knows. <laughs> um, so WonderCon has just been announced as being online only. But if you look at the um, schedule of upcoming conventions, a great many of them have not flipped the page over into uh, online only. That doesn't mean they won't. It just means they, they haven't yet. And so the question is, is this, is this a future thing that they are going to eventually give in or, or will they keep pushing ahead? So for example, in April, um, Huntsville Comic and Pop Culture Con in Huntsville, Alabama, still open. Steel City Con in Monroeville, Pennsylvania, not that far from my hometown. Uh, Supernova Gold Coast in Australia. Uh, they are all still on and they're only in April. Now, most of, now all of the, um, May cons that I've seen listings for are still going to be in person. Um, all of the June cons that I've seen on still going to be in person. Um, all of the July conventions. Yes, even that one still in person. <laughs> that one? So, <laughs> yeah, San Diego Comic-Con, for those of you who somehow were living under a rock. Um, so we there really, we don't know. We don't know what's going to happen from April on. And, I mean, we can all have our speculation, but this this could be a very interesting thing. Yeah, I think TCAF is going to be virtual. I think they, they announced okay. something along those lines. You know, all pretty... I'll say this: pretty much all shows that are non-profit have already announced they're not having yeah. it. TCAP right, yeah. is is virtual. Yes, that's right. Um, mm-hmm. But Comicat isn't virtual, and they're non-profit. Oh, but in Japan, there's hardly any COVID. There is that, and in Australia, there's hardly any COVID. That is true too. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. so, yeah, we'll see, I suppose. Well, I mean, in some ways, this is. What they did in 2020, I mean, a lot of these conventions waited till the painfully late to really say, you know, to, to really kind of acknowledge what everybody expected all along. So we'll see. There's a lot more vaccine out in the world today. I mean, I'm not sure how comfortable people are as we talk about mutant variants um, uh, yeah, uh, circulating now that people don't that they we don't seem to be getting really clear information on whether uh, they are actually uh, uh whether the vaccines will prevent them so it, it, you know we're still kind of in a, really a guessing game you know the most pessimistic take on this all is that covid is going to be like the cold and flu it's going to be the cold and flu and covid um you know it's here to stay i mean it, it is here to stay 
in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, but the question is, will it be like the cold and flu that we have today, or will it be like murder cold and flu? So <laughs> if, if, yeah, <laughs> if, if our vaccines protect us from having strong immune reactions to COVID, maybe we just get a booster shot to prevent anything worse, but you know, generally speaking, almost everybody's fine as long as they have their shot, then, yeah, it does turn into the cold and flu, and that's fine. But if it stays the murder cold and flu, well, that's a different picture altogether. I mean, personally, here's my suspicion of what's going to happen if if COVID lurks around the edges but is less dangerous, is that I think it's going to be a while before the really big shows more enough people feel comfortable going to them like they did. The smaller shows where they can distance a little better, where they don't have the seething mass of humanity elbow to elbow and nose to nose, I think maybe those will catch on again quicker. But the big ones, I don't know, man. Yeah. No, I think you're, I think that's a good point. Yeah, um, 100%. I, I, I personally, I, I really don't see anything before 2022. A really big, of the big shows. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I really speculating. Don't know. I'm guessing. I, I don't know yeah. either. I, I have to say that if New York Comic Con was starting this fall again, I would have to think long and hard before I stepped inside those doors. But, Kate, you have been vaccinated, correct? I have been vaccinated, but I just – the whole thing gives me the heebie-jeebies, so I'd have to think about it. I'd have to think about it. And I, I'm not and saying I've been, I wouldn't do it, but I just have to give it some thought. I've been vaccinated too, and I'm actually two weeks since my second shot, so supposedly I'm at full immunity. And you know what? I walked out today and I had two masks on. So that's my mentality. I will say that people have already had COVID. Uh, everyone I know who's already had COVID, and to be fair, the people I know who have had COVID are not COVID deniers or mask deniers. They mm-hmm. all wore masks and everything, and they caught mm-hmm. it anyway. Uh, and they all still wear masks. It's incredibly – it's very, very rare to catch COVID twice. It's not common at sure. all. It's but scary. you know what? And they all still wear masks. Yeah. Well, but not only that, it's socially expected now, and no yes. one wants to think. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, you know. that, that's a good point, too. Absolutely, and, yes. I mean, yeah, you can't reason. walk around. You can't walk around yeah. without a mask on. But uh, I'm saying they're religious about wearing masks. So Yeah. Same well, thing. my – I, I'm going to out my own father here. Uh, he he got the second shot, and he was asking me. He was like, "Is everybody in New York wearing masks or not?" Like, I don't want to wear a mask, but I don't want to be the only one not wearing a mask. And I was like, "People are still wearing masks." Yeah, like, wear well, a mask. I guess I have to. And we'll be mask. for the foreseeable. Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, so, well, speaking uh, of twenty, uh, all right. I'm going to segue. I'm going to seg- take yeah. a segue away from Cal- because talk about 2022. <laughs> we already have something to look forward to in 2023. All right, it's a new Indeed graphic novel by uh, Mariko Tamaki and Jillian Tamaki. So some good news. Some good news. <laughs> uh, Dad, Drona Quarterly announced this week that they've yeah. acquired this book. It doesn't have a title yet, and it's not coming out for two years. But who cares? It's you yeah. know this. <laughs> Is the graphic novel equivalent of, you know, Christopher Nolan is going to make a new Batman film as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I don't I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's exciting. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a, you know, a shot in the rump. It's good. This is good for comics. They, these are two dramatically talented people. Uh, obviously, the book that that made their name uh, what was that 2010, I believe, Skim. 
uh, it was just better than any first book should ever be. Uh, and they haven't disappointed in the works that they've done since. Uh, so it'll be really great to see them together again. Yes, of course, they're together. Uh, they're cousins, so it's not correct to say the Tamakis. It is the cousins Tamaki yes, or Mariko Tamaki and Jilly Tamaki. Just, uh, just to clear that up, because everybody, everybody calls them the Tamakis, but they're, they're not married. They're not sisters. <laughs> yes. They're, they're, but they're I mean, cousins. they are both named Tamaki. Yes. So it would be fair to pluralize Tamaki. It is. It is. It is correct. But I, you know, it's not yeah. Mariko and Jilly Oh, and Tamaki. we should mention this one summer too, of course. Um, yes, I was just about to say yeah. their, oh, their last collaboration was yeah. this one summer, uh, which was a uh, Caldecott honor book and, you know, a, just a beloved, you know, groundbreaking title. And, of course, yes. we say here all the time, uh, Mariko is one of the best writers in comics. Yeah. And another reminder, uh, Mariko Tamaki is, will be kicking off her own imprint at Abrams. Yes. Um, later this year. Uh, yeah, it's so, a queer, queer themed imprint, mm-hmm, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, to, everything they've done separately is dynamite, and the stuff they've done together is insane. So, yeah. good, good. Yeah. And it's, oh, should we say what the book's about? <laughs> uh, maybe we should. Go ahead, Heidi. Oh, it's about uh, some young adult women coming to New York uh, City, something they've always wanted to do, and how their reality uh, challenges their perceptions and friendships change and grow. So it is as literary as can be, and I can't wait. And it's in the literary capital of America, New York, New York, baby. Bring it on. (laughs) All right. Animators. Uh, Can't we get some decent salaries here (laughs) so last podcast uh of well last news podcast we had dear listeners um i brought up the subject of well uh how badly animators are paid in japan but we weren't alone in noticing this oh no um the new york times noticed it as well because the new york times actually did a very big, very well-fleshed-out piece entitled Anime is Booming, So Why Are Animators Living in Poverty? Um, Where uh, they point out the fact that, um, you know, Netflix and um, Japanese companies that merchandise based on anime are making vast amounts of money, but animators can make astonishingly little they are they profile uh Tetsuya Kutsu who is a sort of mid-range animator and he makes 1400 to $3800 a month but he's one of the top animators although he's not usually a director um and some of the lower rung illustrators may do as little as get as little as $200 a month which is ridiculous it's astonishing it's horrifying and so this man who makes a good salary for anime, which is still not a very good salary, says that he he wants to work in anime for the rest of his life, but he's concerned because he feels like he can't afford to support a family on that money. Um, I mean, it's – how do you even <laughs> – Yeah. Well, ja- you know, Japanese – you know, creative professions in Japan are actually notorious for being underpaid. Um, you know, mangaka make, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. pennies as well. I mean, I don't – I don't – 
I don't even know what to say. I don't know enough about Japanese society to speculate on how this is possible. Well, you know, in some ways it reminds me of a situ- the kind of situation we have in France where there is an explosion of creators. I mean, I think that's part of it. There's a lot of people who want to work in anime. Uh, and so you don't really have to like search. Uh, and apparently a lot of very skilled people because people, it's a dream job. Right. I mean, people love the medium. I mean, in some ways it's almost like comics, I guess, where you have all these people who love the thing so much they will just do it. Right. Yeah. But it, but, I, but it, but it creates a situation of just outright exploitation. Yeah. And I think in some ways it's worse because comics for all, and I am not putting down the amount of work it takes to make comics. It takes a lot of work to make comics. But theoretically, one can make comics as a second job. But animation requires such a vast quantity of art that you really can't do it as a second job. It's just not possible. Mm-hmm. And so then that takes turns the economics of it completely on its head. Yeah. Um, and in comparison, the average pay for an animator in the United States, according to this article, is $65,000 a year. Which is very livable, and um, you know, more advanced animators make about seventy-five thousand dollars a year. The so there's a big an- difference. Top animators can make a lot more than that. Um, and you know, I'm reading this article, and uh, it says one sec- uh, one sentence here kind of jumps out a little bit at me. It says low wages and abysmal working conditions, uh, hospitalization and from overwork can mm-hmm. be a badge of honor in Japan. So yes. obviously, there is some kind of societal acceptance. Of working to death. Well, that's characteristic of the manga industry as well. Yeah. Let's put it this way. It seems like one of those things that is encouraged by the very corporate culture that profits off of it. Of course. At a time Um, when anime has just seems to be having an explosive amount of demand. Yeah. And it's also made harder by the fact that um, Japan's corporate culture is very focused on people staying at the same company. So the ability to bargain and leave for greener pastures is is much more limited. And, and apparently the, the the back-breaking hours that they're that they that they are required to work to compete is actually in violation of Japanese labor law, but of course no one enforces it. Yeah. And but the thing is that meanwhile, you know, for all that that people talk about the economics of anime and how they can't afford to pay more. It's true that the individual contracting companies, which they note, you know, have to do low bid contracts for it. They get relatively little money and often go out of business, but the owners of the IP are making a lot of money. Yeah. And so it's sort of, an artificial hardship condition uh, created by the exploitive structure. Yeah, and and this article really goes into some depth. Of, it's by Ben Dooley and uh, Hikari Hida um, in the New York Times. Um, it, it, it's pretty depressing. Yeah, and the reason we, we blacken Netflix's name is because they are operating by the same business model. Um, they... They said the number of 
and they say, you know, Netflix said the number of households that watch anime on streaming service in 2020 increased by half over the previous year, but they're still paying the same rates as everybody else, which is to say, not much. Yeah. Mm. Well, I think I predicted at the early part of this pandemic that animation would boom because it does not require actors to be physically in the same room together. It can all be done yeah. Uh, yeah. remotely. And obviously, also, audiences love it. I mean, they're, they're yep. like you say, on Netflix, uh, you, the anime is booming. Um, you know, it's huge. So, uh, you know, I, I look. I don't want to speculate about a Japanese culture, Japanese society, Japanese business ethics, because obviously this issue is totally tied up in what is acceptable. Of course, you know, here in America, it's also acceptable for the government to talk about how they love small businesses and then just let them all die during a pandemic relentlessly. Yeah. yeah. So you know, we're we're all a bit flawed in this, but uh, obviously there is something really messed up about all right this. and. And the other reason we brought Netflix into it is it's an international corporation, and it's it's international now, but it's American based, and it's buying into this model too. Now they're trying Netflix is is trying to um, put a shine on it by saying that they're teaming up with Wit Studio to provide financial support and training to ten young animators who will get one thousand four hundred dollars for six months. Which is, which is hilariously tiny. Oh it's like, we're, we're the entertainment giant and we're going to be nice enough to give 10 people a living salary for six months. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It's really, uh, no, it's okay. really bad. Okay. You've been to Japan. I mean, yes. is how is, is the standard of living there? I mean, are things expensive or cheap? Um, I would say that, quite frankly, if you know where you're going and you know what you're doing, it's about the same as the United States. So, you know, but the thing is that a lot of these young animators are not living in second-tier cities where rent is affordable. They're living in the economic equivalent of living in New York. Um, And so, you know, finding somewhere to live on that kind of salary in Tokyo is – Possible, but terrible. I can only imagine. Yeah, I mean, um, I mean you know, it, if they were if they were living in like I don't know an outlying city, probably they'd be fine. But that's that's not where they are. It's definitely not like oh well, things are cheaper there. Things are not cheaper there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I my, my understanding is that Tokyo is a very expensive place to live. And I, I don't know that firsthand. Yeah, um, the, the it's a rent thing, like New York. Yeah. It's a rent thing. Yeah, mm. yeah, and 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 even in the story, uh, they constantly talk about postage stamp sized apartment. Yeah, and I don't think they're exaggerating. Yeah, that's got to change. Yeah. <laughs> hopefully, it will, hopefully it will. All right. It definitely has the whiff of something that needs a union. Let's put it that way. I'm not going to say everything needs a union or unions are always good, but good lord, this is exploitative to the max. Yeah. Well, um, you know, uh, after that, a, 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 a troubling story. Uh, here's here's something that's that's a little hopeful. Um, uh, the last minute rescue of a of a of a black owned comic store in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, Mind's Eye Comics, which I, I I didn't know anything about, but this is a great story. Um, uh, Kate, you want to talk about it? You want me to talk about it? 
Well, let's both talk about it. Yeah, okay. But uh, it, it seems like great. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, like all like a lot of other comic stores around the country, uh, this uh, Mind's Eye Comics in Minneapolis, Minnesota, uh, was hard hit by by COVID. Um, uh, I think uh, in the story that um, uh, Kate circulated, uh, the owner of the store, um, I think his name is Eric Childs. Eric Childs, yeah. Um, he says it's nothing more disheartening to see product coming in and no customers to buy it. Nobody coming in. Um, but then, uh, something happened that kind of changed all that around. Yeah, you want to take it from there, Kate? Yeah. So one day he got an email from Damon Lindelof, the <laughs> creator of HBO's Watchmen series, um, saying that he was concerned for his business and wanted to know how he could help. Um, and so he, you know, promoted the store for sales and donations and also, uh, comics writer Dan Jurgens got in on it and, um, said he'd do a free signing for anyone, um, willing to come and support the store. And then, um, Van's Shoe Company selected Mind's Eye Comics, uh, as one of its... Mm-hmm. Um, sort of charity targets and Childs worked with a company to design a custom shoe. So custom shoe, a mm-hmm. custom shoe. Yes. <laughs> so, so really a lot of, a lot of people came together to make sure this comic shop stayed vital and stayed, kept its nose above water. Yeah. Yeah. And, and part, part of the, uh, the, the rescue effort also was, you know, he did a, uh, he did a TV interview, I think it was in on Black History Month in 2020, mm-hmm. yeah. and he mm-hmm. just said, you know, um, it, it, it was tough, uh, and he, you know, he, you know, he really was trying to keep, you know, use his store to showcase, you know, black stories and black mm-hmm. comics artists, um, and that kind of alerted a lot of people to the problems that he was having. And it's just been been incredible. Yeah, he that what they, uh, uh, Vance had this. This program uh, called Foot the Bill, which is basically looking for stores that they could help, mm-hmm. and it's it's well, you know, it's it's a, a feel good story at a time when we could use it. Absolutely, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, oh, go on, Kate. I'm sorry. Often we hear just you know somebody throwing a GoFundMe or a hey, give these people money thing, but often you don't you don't hear those happy endings. You don't hear that hey, no, actually this worked out for these people. There you go. So. Um, so that's good to hear. And you know what? We, you know, we, we, I'm, I'm going to look into this a little bit more because I, I didn't know about this store, but it's, uh, it really does sound great. I don't I, know about too many black owned comic stores in the country other than yeah. obviously the one in Philly, Amalgam. Yeah. Uh, so this there, is good to know few, about. There's a few. There's a few. There's got to uh, be more. Mm-hmm. But you know, it also just shows that, um, you know, what we were saying before, uh, you know, it's great that the community, it's a, it's a community that reaches out yeah. and, you know, comics are certainly going nowhere. Uh, individual stores have had tough times. Um, uh, and it's great that someone like Damon Lindelof cared enough to really help this, the shop keep on going. And, uh, you know, that's definitely, yeah. I, I feel good. I feel good. It's a real good feel the story. And, uh, and another comic shop saved. So God bless him. All right. All right. So, uh, have that, we come to the end of our list? I think we have. Yes, All actually. Right. 
So, uh, yes, very good. Do. We made it. We made it through another, yeah. another podcast. And don't forget, uh, let us know how we're doing. Give us a rating. Uh, you know, thumbs up, thumbs down. Give us five stars. You can give us less if you feel we deserve it, but, uh, you know, give us a rating. We, we do love that. And, um, uh, and give us a heads up if there's a story that you think needs covering in comments. Yeah. yeah well, we we'd love to know because, you know, like this, this story in Minnesota, we would never have known it if I hadn't just tripped over it. I'm sure there are a million other wonderful comic stories out there. Drop us a line. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. Also, uh, you can always hit us up on social media. Uh, you know, let us know. All right. Uh, thanks, guys. And I guess there will be more to come.